Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey friends, welcome to 2023. This is Andre and I'm here with Vansh. Hey man, how are you doing? Hey Andre, yeah, it's good to be back on another edition of Tennis and Bagels. Uh, miss doing these shows with you and Owen and Happy New Year to everyone listening. And yeah, yeah let's kick off this new tennis season. I'm really excited and it was a good first week. Yeah, same for me. Um, my bit of my New Year's resolution is try to dedicate myself a bit more to this podcast. I feel like it's been a little <laughs> dead for a while. So I'm going to try to tweet more from that account uh i encourage you to interact with me like answer questions and tweet back at me i try to be very active on this one so uh let's see if 2023 holds a little bit more of a action for tennis and bagels uh, let's put a little bit more coffee in this breakfast shall we so um uh so yeah we just finished the the first week of 2023 uh a pretty big event just uh finished the united cup the first it's not the first, but I appreciate it's the first um, event that actually awards ranking points to both WTA and ATP players where they play an actual joint team event. Because we had the Hopman Cup for a while. Um, I'm pretty sure there must have been like a few exhibitions here and there, but like um, this is the first official, official um, tournament that puts both of them together. And honestly, I'm just going to say right at the top of this that the fact that I can watch WTA on tennis TV is pretty awesome. Like I feel like it should definitely be the way. Definitely showed um the potential of it that I'm on the exact same streaming platform and I can watch a women's match and I can switch it over to the Adelaide match that was going on at the same time. Um or um I think Auckland was a WTA event, so I would have to watch this on WTA TV. But it'd be awesome if they all were on the same platform. Like I mean, if you can put on like an app um that shows scores together, why not just kind of come up with your own streaming event like i mean i'm pretty sure that they should have been looking at those broadcasting uh numbers and seeing some uh differential in there and maybe that would be the place for a business proposal for them to actually have finally a streaming platform that shows all of the atp and wta events in the same place that would be yeah, great I, would... I wouldn't even mind like paying a little bit more for that one so yeah i mean that's a really good point honestly i i love that like because this kind of gave tennis fans and everyone involved in the sport into kind of a glimpse of what the future of tennis could look like if uh, the ATP and WTA kind of joined forces and we we were able to get everything on one streaming platform for everyone to watch. Like, I mean, Tennis TV and ATP and WTA, they coordinated it pretty well, I would say, for their first, uh, you know, for the inaugural event, like the first ever debut of men and women competing together. Like, you, you know, we saw some in the interaction between the female and male players and along with the captain, uh, along with, you know, the, the videos that they were doing just to promote the event uh, on the ATP website, on the WTA YouTube channel. And they were kind of merging their content together. 
And I thought that was a really neat way to do it because, um, yeah, I mean, the last thing, I mean, this board is really hard as it is for even the diehards to follow on one place. So if we can get, you know, I, I definitely like that, that, you know, tennis should definitely leverage that the women's and men's uh, sport is in such a strong place. And we, that's one of the things that separates tennis is how elevated the women's game is. And so if we can have it all, you know, if we can have them competing side by side and just the interaction, especially amongst the U.S. team, uh, them being super close together and, uh, you know, like the fact that you can watch Pagula and you can watch Fritz and you have highlights for both. And it's like, you know, it's just, uh, it's a great way to do it. So I thought that was, I thought that was well done. Um, the event was quite, you know, it was 11 days long. I believe it started in December 28th. So I was like, is this, yeah. you know, I guess this is officially 2023, but, um, you know, I thought it, I thought it was interesting the way they did it. It was kind of a plus from the ATP cup, um, just because of the combined nature of it. But I still felt like, obviously, you know, with some tweaks and some changes, I mean, you got some great high quality matches between top 20 players, especially on the men's side and even some on the women's side. But I think I got to a point later in the week where it became really hard to follow this, actually. Mm. Uh, the main reason is the way that they set up their format and the qualification process. 18 teams, which is quite a few countries, right? And you had, you know, obviously you have the major power horses like uh, Italy and the US with really strong teams. And Canada wasn't unfortunately, and neither was Russia. And so you had a lot of top male, female players, but then you also had sort of other matches that, you know, while they're great athletes, they're outside the top 200, 300 in the world. Uh, and it's great that they're getting an opportunity to play on the main stage. I just felt like it, we got an oversaturation of a lot of matches and ones that, um, you know, didn't really elevate the event or it didn't really, uh, it, it, it may not have, it, it may have sucked some of the luster out of the event as a whole, because I just feel like the mixed uh, doubles, which is, which is probably the main thing that, you know, that's, that makes this so great. They they didn't really have it as a live rubber. Like so, you had five rubbers, and it was and like, it was the last one. Yeah, and it was mostly always the last one, or it was like fourth. And I just yeah. feel like they should tweak that a bit so that that gets front and center, and that's the main thing that we're trying to sell. Yeah. So I feel like if we can, and I felt like the eighteen teams thing was very weird because you had the group stages all in three different cities, and you had round robin groups. I like the round robin, and then. You know, you have four quarterfinals. Instead, we had three quarterfinals, and we we're wondering where's the fourth one. But actually, yeah. the fourth one was just you know who had the best record amongst yeah. all the losing team amongst all the losing teams that made it. They're calling it the city finals, which is essentially the quarterfinal stage. And so I just found that very strange because I'm you know like sitting there and doing the math between who's getting in Italy and Croatia, and it just didn't really give that team thing. Like I was mostly watching this event for seeing, oh, how does Nadal look? How does Tsitsipas look? You know, how does how does Pegula look? How does Sriantec look? I was kind of looking at it from the vantage point of just the individual players, as opposed to like really finding myself rooting for a particular country, if that makes sense. Mm. And I just feel like maybe I'd gotten to do that a little bit more if it was shrinked down a little bit. I feel like there are different ways they could have done it, maybe 16 teams, and then you have four in each group, and then maybe you play, you know, each men's and women's, you play their best player, you put their best player in singles, and then you have the mixed doubles kind of decide the thing. So you have, yeah. I guess, fewer matches, but it's kind of streamlined. And now you have a really good product because ultimately this is a big premier event, right? This is 500 ranking points online and you're just trying to sell the best players in the world. And I feel like Davis Cup, at least you have the crowd going for itself and you have, you know, the big, uh, you know, cowbells in the crowd and you have like 23,000, like it's a really packed atmosphere for most of those ties, right? 
But yeah. in Australia, because it's in a neutral venue, you kind of need the stars to sell the event. Like people want to buy a ticket so they can watch Nadal, right? So they can watch Fiontech, so they can watch some of the top players. And um, with all due respect to like Kuzmanov and like, uh, you know, whoever the number two player for Greece is or same on the women's side, like it, it just kind of felt like it was dragged on a bit too long, if that makes sense. So I would probably change it and make it, you know, best of three for the rubbers. And then I'd make put fewer teams in there. And you could either you could either do fewer teams and then make it best of five, make it best of five like how it is, or you can just make it a little less teams, like sixteen, and then just you know have fewer rubbers and then maybe more, yeah, more overall. Yeah. But I but I thought for their first event they did they did a pretty good job. They didn't have a whole lot of time to set this up. Yeah, that's true. Like I feel like they kind of came along with this idea. I'm not sure how far along obviously they've been planning this, but they obviously staged the ATP Cup last year. Um, yeah. I I am not a fan of the uh, three team format. I feel like it's always a, a miss. Like when a, when you have a round robin, because you only yeah. p- play three matches, and very often the last, um, not very often, but like there is always a possibility that, um, you know, one of the teams just kind of doesn't really have much of a chance. Like by the last one, so you just there's nothing to yeah. play for. So it's only the other team. So essentially, you just kind of want to play like a party pooper and just... You have uh, a lot, lot of matches like that in this format like that are just dead rubbers, but they're just yeah. playing because... And uh, I feel like <laughs> the best for, the best format for me is the four-team format. Uh, so you have four teams in the round robin, like the, the, like you do the ATP finals. Four teams like, of four, right? Yeah. Four teams of four so that everyone gets to play three guaranteed matches. I feel like that's... Yeah, yeah. exactly. And... And, and when it comes to the uh, the rubbers, I 100% agree with you. I don't know where the idea of putting the doubles matches last came from. Like, it's, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. Like, how cool would it have been, like, if the United States have clinched the the United Cup on the, the mixed doubles? Yeah. And and you had, like, how iconic the picture would have been to have, like, I think it was, like, Fritz and uh, whatever, whoever, like, the, uh, the the girl was. I'm sorry. But, like, the, the hugging Pegula for like, yeah. um, for the dub, for the doubles at Pegula, who played in the mixed. I think they oh, yeah, must have. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, yeah like, imagine, yeah. imagine if it was, like, Fritz and Pegula, like, playing yeah. the uh, the doubles match or Tiafo and Pegula, and they hug for the, after the final point. That would have been, like, the epic picture to, like, put on, yeah. like, and and the, instead of that, you just decide to have, like, a singles match, which is, I understand, like, in the sense that, like, um maybe the singles match sells more but you, you can always sell it differently like when it's a team's competition it's like it's it's not the team's not te- uh, mixed doubles it's it's the united states are playing or imagine australia was there like how pumped up they would have been like i feel like as much as we don't really like to say it as much but like look at what curios and kakinakis did last year in australia it was a doubles match but like this the final was packed it was a packed stadium because yeah. they just they want to watch the, their 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 peers like they they want to support Australian tennis they want to support like their country and it's it barely matters whether like it's a singles match or or a, or, or a doubles match as long as you have somebody to root for um, yeah. and I feel like the doubles match is definitely a lose to put it as a as um, a fifth rubber which could be but it's it's like a best of fight right it's always good to see like a, a fifth set. But normally you're not gonna get that. So you you're gonna like have matches that are gonna finish in three or four, and it's the exact same thing with the the, the rubbers. You're mostly gonna have match uh, the rubbers, the the groups, the the ties that are gonna finish in three or four. And if you don't play the doubles match, it just becomes even more boring. If you if one if you know what I mean. So like that when it becomes like a, 
a match that you a must win match that's that's a that's a lot cooler honestly in my opinion yeah it really raises the stakes but i think yeah. the thing is my question is if we take the best player of the wta and the atp and the singles and then we have all these other teammates there you know presumably for pr- practice hitting partners but also support and also maybe we use them in the in the deciding doubles would you rather that the number one player on each the wta and the atp for that country like they have to play the mix together or would you say like for example so if it's like let's say pagula plays her singles uh, mm. fritz plays her uh singles the number two for women's was madison keys and tiafo yeah and you know fritz isn't the greatest doubles player like being honest he doesn't really like doubles he's not great at the net but let's say you know let's say tiafo comes in and plays with pagula because he's a he's a bit better at doubles like, would you want that or would you be like, no, only the top two t- people get selected and we have fewer members on the team and it's just like Fritz and Pegula have to play the doubles. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. Like, I, I wonder how they would, hmm. they would do it. Yeah, like in, in the sense like you, you're saying um, the number one and two in singles have to play mixed doubles together. Yeah, like the number one, uh, the number one player from the WTA yeah. and the number one from ATP. So you would have like, for example, Poland be her catch yeah. in uh, Sviantec, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it'd be interesting just because you would make the players play a bit out of their comfort zone. So you probably level the field a bit more. So um, yeah. you wouldn't have like Rajiv Ram and Pegula or Coco Golf playing like in, in singles yeah. against like a Tsitsipas and Sakari. Like, for example, it would be probably a blowout. Right. Yeah. So I, I just feel like, you know, they could have, this the, because of the number of matches it was hard to follow and it kind of watered down the event and i just felt like it was like prolonged so much and like even though even when we knew who the winners were we still had two or three extra matches and it was just like yeah i think know. yeah i think that mostly i i am all for like a playing uh five matches instead of three but i think maybe for this format they could have done like atp cup style and just go for three and put the double second. I mean, you could make the five, but then you could reduce the number of teams so that you have teams with like really good. Yeah. Teams. So like yeah. you have eight teams, but then you play five rubbers. I'm like, okay, I'd be yeah. down for that. I do. I do agree that it was it was hard to follow because I wasn't really watching, so I was trying to like see the um, the PDFs and things like that, and I was just checking. I was like, how how is Italy in the semis? Was like then they yeah, lose. No, I was confused. And, and, I woke up and I yeah. saw Italy is in the semis. I'm like, wait, how, why not Croatia? And then I saw, oh yeah, because Croatia. they had more sets. But Croatia yeah. was in the semis as well. I think they were both in the semis. No. Yeah. No. I think uh, I think Italy got it over Croatia because. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Because Croatia lost to Greece. So. Right. Yeah. And so that was yeah. It was just it was confusing for us to follow. So I mean, yeah. if other people are trying to get into the game, it's it would be even it would be even harder. And then. Yeah. But then, but- yeah, and then to have all these countries hosted, you also had the issue of like you have to travel. I guess they had that in the ATP Cup as well for the city finals. Yeah. So if I do, one team yeah. has already been playing all their matches on that court, they're adjusted to the conditions and you know the surface, and then the players have like maybe two or three hours to get there, adjust in a day for travel, and maybe the time zone is different too. I'm not sure, maybe by an hour or two. Yeah, in 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 Australia, people coming from Perth, I think the time yeah. difference is like about two to three hours. So right, Perth to Sydney, and it's like a a three to four hour flight and then you have to get used to the speed and the conditions and the yeah yeah environment it's 
it's a little bit rough. And I also wonder how much it takes out of these players. I mean, the good part about signing up, for example, let's say if you're Nadal and you're looking for match wins and confidence, he's guaranteed to get two matches against pretty much decent players. But yeah. if he enters a 250, for example, you know, he might he might play like a, a decent, he might win his first round and then lose early, like because the draw would be stacked. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just, I, you know, so there are some benefits to this. But I also just wonder, like, if we just have an oversaturation of events just in general, because it's like, what does this yeah. really mean? Like, I, I'm, you know, like I watch these matches and I'm like, I'm looking for just individual players and their form and how they look before the start yeah. of the main event, which is Australian Open. And I'm not really like trying to, like, I don't, I'm not, don't really have an emotional attachment to the countries, you know? Yeah. I, just, I feel like, like there, there is a, a better way, especially like after we've seen the World Cup just happen. So, like, yeah. everybody was super invested into it, even though, like, um, but people are invested in the World Cup because it's every four years, and it's like something. It's like a novelty, right? Like it's yeah, like it has it has a lot of prestige. But like yeah. like it, this, like we just had Davis Cup, like we just had it exactly, and and the the Billie Jean King Cup as well. We we just had like a lot of those cups, and I feel like in that sense, like a there is this this problem that sort of needs to get addressed in tennis, like sooner rather than later at this point i would say which is the saturation of the calendar like you just said yeah. that like we just started this event on december 28th like uh at first like when i and i i don't know this by the way like even though i work at tennis canada i do not have any information on um why felix uh and and others players and Layla did not really participate. They they just they have to decide whether they want to participate or not. But like in my honest opinion, I look at this calendar, I'm like, I don't want to spend New Year's Eve like playing a tennis match. Like, I mean, if yeah, I have your season yeah. is finished late. Like, I mean, Felix is exactly finished, you know, 30th. Yeah. I, I don't like, you know, he he probably just wanted a little bit extra time and then maybe he can go to Adelaide four or five days later and you know, maybe yeah. just get like some get into that proper individual tournament mindset because he just went through that again and they won and they went all the way to the end and they won yeah. the so, it, so it, like, yeah it becomes like less interesting interesting in that way yeah. so like i can definitely agree with that and if you crunch like more and more tournaments and more and more important events quote unquote then like at some point nobody's gonna really want to play and they're gonna have to pick like which one is the actual important event which one isn't yeah. uh, i think the united cup is a very important event uh, especially for its um complete differential of being like mixed men and women and i think it should be uh put up on the spot a lot more but it, there has to be a discussion of like what's what's the place of the davis cup and the Jean king cup and the united cup and yeah um, absolutely because davis cup has the history like it has the exactly. you know, 100 year plus history and then united cup has this you know amazing idea you know they you know, and it's, yeah. it gives us a glimpse into the future, but yeah. this one is say, right point. Yeah. So would, Davis doesn't say, have that. And it's like, I would say, honestly, like could make the United Cup the Olympics. <laughs> this is yeah. change the Olympics format to the United Cup and that you have like a very beautiful format instead of just like a tennis tournament. It and would definitely, it would change a lot, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the calendar in general, like you're so right. Like December, I mean, that was supposed to be an off season generally yeah. you would think but then you yeah. still had all these exhibition tournaments going on a lot of top yeah. players were playing uh, i mean obviously they got paid really well but they're going around and they're playing like intense matches like this is not like just a hit and giggle like you had like sabalenka and like felix and i mean felix played a little bit but not a ton 
you had yeah. like Sitsipas, Rublev, which was also a team event. <laughs> yeah, also a team event, and they, they yeah. you know, the one where you couldn't see the court. I forgot which one that was, but like I was, I wasn't really paying attention because I'm like, this doesn't really mean anything. Like, there's the, no stakes, but yeah, I just like I didn't really watch any of it, but like, you know, I'm just I was just following them. Like these players are like, and, and to some extent, I kind of get their mindset because they're like, you know, I might as well just keep my match sharpness and going into Australia. Yeah. And then I feel like what a lot of these top players are going to do is like, there's no more off season. So they're just going to take time off in February yeah. and use that period between Australian Open and Indian Wells. I think Casper Root said he's actually going to do that. And it makes sense for a player like Root. But then when you have, you know, players or maybe fans complaining about like the off season, yeah. uh, like the season is too long, but then like, you know, why are you playing exhibitions the whole month yeah, uh, all yeah. throughout December? So it's, it, the tours could literally be like, Hey, if you're just going to play exhibitions, why don't we just put another 500 here and another, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, 250 in December. And it's, it kind of just like, it, I just feel like, yeah, there has to be a bigger discussion had about yeah. maybe players' mental health, physical health. Uh, I feel like in this sense, like tennis players, after thinking about like other um, sports like football or uh, soccer and hockey, which they have like contractual um, teams yeah. and events in which they actually have to come and play. And they have like the season, which is like, an, an X number of games that they have to play. Um, I feel like for tennis players, they just kind of like, well, they obviously are contract contract workers. They're not necessarily hired by anyone in a sense. So that kind of makes sense for them. So in a sense, I've just wondered, like, I think the off season in tennis is just a hoax. It doesn't really exist. It like, doesn't really exist. Yeah. Players players it's can take terrible. time off whenever they can or they want to. So it's like if you if you're like, for example, a like Rafa Nadal and you decide I'm just going to like not play the clay swing after the Australian Open and I'm just going to stop at the Australia and my next term is going to be Miami or uh, California. So how long is that? So like, is this well, like three weeks or something that he can get like off or something like that? So he can yeah. kind of, kind of like mix his own vacation. So I wonder if like, can we just, if, can we just assume ourselves as like tennis does not have an off season <laughs> that that is like a season yeah. with like less tournaments and then like players yeah. get to like take their vacation whenever but that's that's way off topic from the, from the stuff in tennis obviously yeah. the team sports because yeah. you know you don't play you don't earn anything you don't earn any money unless if you're exactly, if you have yeah. really good sponsors and you're like you know a legacy type player like the big three and serena yeah money chases you in a way so yeah and like you have to commit early in advance to these events because you have to make your agent happy sponsors uh, opportunities down the road so uh, and then some players like just maybe just need some some that match play and that team environment is good for them but it it just kind of depends on the player but i just yeah at this point there's no off season in tennis like there isn't one yeah (laughs) i refuse to believe there's one yeah but but i guess back to the back to the united cup i mean who are some of the players that like stood out for me i mean i was impressed with fritz like on the men's side i was impressed with fritz he won most of his matches uh beat Hercotch and berrettini and clinched it in really tight moments mm. um in tie breaks uh in both matches um i was impressed with nori because he took out nadal Dimenor. yeah uh, i think uh, the uh united cup like there's team events they always um players always bring their best because whenever it's a team event i think that there's the mental support there is not there in singles they are able to find answers they're able to find another gear um to inspire themselves a lot easier than it is like in a regular season tournament so there's absolutely no question that the quality of tennis has potential to be more um 
linear in the sense that like there is going to be less dips um and i feel like the potential for like higher quality is like very big um it's not going to get maybe into grand slam quality um maybe back in the davis cup time we used to get to the to grand slam quality but nowadays i think we the grand slam just kind of elevated themselves a little bit more but like obviously like a team competition's Every player gets to play like really well. Like remember, like um, Roman Safiulin, like last year in the ATP Cup, he played yeah. phenomenal, and he was ranked like what, like 170 in the world. And um, so many players play so well, like uh, in their um, in team they also events. Also, just don't want to let their team members down. Exactly, and Martina Trevisan, like, she played super well to take Sakari out. So yeah, and then like players like Princess Demon, or I feel like every time he plays for. Yeah, he goes up like three notches. It's like exactly just he, he becomes like top has. top ten player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the way he took out Nadal like from a set in a breakdown. Yeah, and then the you know the just like I've seen him play for Davis Cup, ATP Cup many times. I mean, he gets excited. That's the thing. Yeah, like with Leighton Hewitt, like screaming in his corner, like after every point. Same with like Tim Henman. Yeah, for Kevin Norrie and for Dan Evans for these other yeah players. And you can and, see, like for example, even Andy Murray, like. Um, he loves team competitions. He absolutely enjoys being the in the atmosphere. He wants to do it for yeah. Great Britain. Um, it might have been even the reason why he was able to do Wimbledon like more than once, like the the first one, 2013. Um, so yeah, like it, there is a huge place for team competition in tennis to make something out of it. Um, and I really liked. I feel like there is a lot more positives, even though we rented for quite a while on the United Cups. I feel like there is a lot more positives. Um, even if the positive is is just that it happened <laughs> for the first time, it did happen. Yeah. So I mean, the... and maybe, maybe that's it's up to you to figure out how to filter the rest of the matches. Like you know, maybe you just yeah. focus on you know the the matches that have the higher stakes or the top player matchups that you really want to see, and then you still have like Adelaide going on. You still have you know some great WT action going on in Auckland, or yeah. um, you know, yeah, Adelaide. You have the ATP and the WTA, so. It's like a very chaotic time, like these two weeks before Australia. It's been like this for the last three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And you're just like trying to, like this week we have like Australian Open qualities and then you have like another 500 and you have like WTA 500 so stacked that you have, you know, players inside the top 30 in qualities playing each other in the first round, like Teichman and Anisimova. And it's like, whoa. Um, Yeah. Because, yeah. And then at the same time, players are just coming in off of an off season. They're trying to find their form, fine tune for Australia they maybe don't want to peak so early. And then you see like some players pull out because of injury. Musetti pulled out um, in his match yesterday in Tiafo in a team competition because of an injury. It had yeah. to have been bad. Um, yeah. They probably just didn't want to make it worse. And then, yeah, you just, you, you have these like niggles. You had players pulling out, obviously, um, trying to conserve their energy. And it's, yeah, it, it's like a tough one because you want to be like prepared for Australia and you want to get like the, a good number of matches and reps under your belt with like ideal preparation, but you also just like really want to win and don't let your team down in the United Cup. And it's like the balance of the two, I thought was really good. But speaking more about the players, I mean, I think Nadal for me is a very interesting one coming into this tournament. Um, that's because, I mean, obviously he had a fantastic first half of last year. Yeah. And, you know, we know what happened at Wimbledon when he won that match against Fritz and then he had the abdominal tear and then couldn't play against Kyrgios. But since then, it's been pretty rough for Nadal. Uh, I would say like he's, not really been able to play because of the injury uh, uh, for a long time. And then he came to Cincinnati, won a few matches at the U.S. Open, but the serve didn't really look good. Like, he was tossing in a lot lower. You could see he was 
um, you know, a lot more doubtful about his form. He didn't really have a lot of matches coming in. Mm. And then and then he played the then he suffered some losses at the end of the year to Tommy Paul and a couple of the ATP finals. And at that point I just thought, okay, that's fine. I'll write off the second half of the year. You know, he, he also got he also had a kid uh with his yeah. wife. Uh, just became a father. He also had, you know, the coming back from the tear. He also had, and also just indoor hardcourts in general is not his favorite surface. And he played really good opponents like Felix and Fritz and Paul and Tiafo and other good players who can really rush him uh, on these quicker courts. But then I thought, okay, after this off season, he should be, he should be kind of fine tuning, looking good. And honestly, like he didn't look bad to me. Like he won these first sets against Nori and uh, Demonor, and he was playing okay from the ground. But I felt like his serve. Uh, kind of let him down. He wasn't really finding first serves. He was his ball toss is lower than what it used to be, and I think Torian said in the commentary that he's not able to hit the kick serve, which generally he's more of a slice serve kind of guy. If you've seen him play, like yeah. you know the slider out wide, and so he can dictate with his forehand on the next shot. But he was tossing it a lot, uh, a lot lower. He was making a fewer percentage of first serves. wasn't winning as many second serve points, um, and it seemed like he was always kind of defending and behind in the rallies. And I just wonder like how much better is he going to get in time for the Australian Open? I feel like he'll yeah. have, you know, best of five, at least he can work his way into the tournament. And so maybe the first two rounds won't be as bad. Yeah. And he still has like time before the Australian Open, but he hasn't been, he hasn't had a good win rate lately. He's lost seven of his last 11 matches. And there are definitely some doubts. And, you know, I feel like the field is definitely improving and getting better uh because you know i didn't i, I didn't i definitely didn't see even or beating him uh for example mm-hmm. yeah like so like even nori even though he played exceptionally well i think but I, but then at the same time i feel like we had these doubts last year as well right yeah uh, we he, definitely didn't lost, expect uh, him to win the australian open though i will no, I mean, say that a repeat of that is yeah yeah he won the 250 but the difference yeah. there was he played rusavori barankis and Maxime Cressy, like not the same caliber level of players as Medvedev, and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly that too. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, you know, so maybe, and you know, who knows? Maybe he could have had, you know, like he was a little unlucky with the players that he played in terms of him building up the form. Like he could have easily had, like, yeah, I don't know Tiago Montero and like, you know, someone else that he yeah. knows he could beat, and then maybe that would have given him some confidence because he's not really coming through in like the tight moments right now. But yeah. I feel like once he gets those more sets under his belt and if he's healthy, which, you know, some people think he came back from the ab injury too soon. I yeah. personally, you know, haven't seen enough to make that call yet. Mm. But definitely I, think I will yeah. be wondering how it looks in the early rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've also seen that like he played in, in, he played in Sydney. Um, so um, as per what I've heard from... Um, the commentators and after watching a bit of uh, the Pigulas Riantek match as well, um, Riantek kind of a good, um, you know, uh, comparison to Nadal in the sense just because she uses oh, like a, the high like, kick. Um, really on the, fast court. Yeah, so the yeah. Sydney the Sydney courts were really fast and the conditions were different. He, Nadal was saying like how the conditions weren't very suitable for him, um, yeah. which when and when Navi when Navi says, I feel like Nadal should always just quit with saying. That's not an excuse because as soon as you say it, it sounds like an excuse. But like it conditions is tennis, right? So like you always play in different like conditions, and 
some conditions are better for players, some some are not. That's why Nadal has never yeah. been able to win the, the ATP finals. Uh so and that's why he's been able to dominate in, in Roland Garros, right? So back to the United Cup. I think this Sydney uh United Cup matches may not have been the best comparison to what he might look like in Melbourne. But like if he yeah. if there is like any problems with his actual serve, he might have been either trying to try something new or try to just like save his shoulder a little bit and actually make sure that he played the event. Um, yeah. Maybe he should have just skipped it. I feel like Spain might have enough um, star power. I'm not sure. I kind of Except, wondered why he yeah. didn't just enter the 250 and all that. I think it might have been because he was guaranteed two matches at least. Yeah, that could have been the that could have been his idea. He probably just wanted to like play some and not necessarily care to. But like, you know, Nadal, Nadal, Nadal cares about Spain and cares about winning um, yeah. team competitions. And so does Alcaraz. And that's the reason why he kind of got screwed a bit after playing Davis Cup right after winning uh, the US Open. But it's in, in his mentality a little bit. So I don't blame him. And I don't think that he made this out of a selfish decision. Um, yeah. But I feel like we, what are we going to see in Australia? First round is definitely when we can say, okay, Nadal is, is doing good. Nadal is not doing great. So um, that's that's what we have yeah, to wait I would, for, I think. Yeah, I, you know, it does depend on kind of how his draw looks like because by the time you get to the third round, that's when he'll start facing the caliber of players that he played here. Yeah. Third, fourth round. Um, usually first two rounds, you wouldn't have to face a seated player. And it's best of five as well. Best of three, it's on a fast court, it's much easier to you know, sustain a peak for a really long time. I feel like maybe the only worrying part for some of his fans is the dips that he's kind of having in the, in these matches where he's like winning the first set pretty comfortably. Yeah. The second, and then all of a sudden he has this level dip and his serve goes awry or he's not, um, he's not able to come back in the third when the back is against the wall. But, you know, again, these are like, these are essentially just uh, stepping stones to the major. So I don't feel like it's... Uh, we should read too much into it yet. Yeah. It's definitely something yeah. to monitor because he's defending a lot of points. Yeah. So he's the number one seed. And if he doesn't win the event, then he's inevitably going to drop further in the rankings and seedings. And then we'll see how it is for him coming into the clay season. Yeah. Um, so do you, uh, who do you think is going to, do you think Nadal has a good chance of winning the Australian Open? I still put him in the top five favorites. Uh, I definitely can't say he's the favorite, like because Djokovic is there and he's playing really well. And for me, he's the unequivocal favorite. But if Nadal gets through his first week and he's looking pretty solid and good, and if he can avoid Djokovic until the semis, let's say, mm-hmm. or the or the final. I mean, Djokovic is seated fourth, and Nadal will be seated first, so they could only play in the semis. Um, but. He needs to probably pick it up, you know, start serving better, probably just, uh, you know, get get a few more wins under his belt so he can feel confident and get those good feelings back. But I, I'm not going to underestimate him. I definitely think he has, he is still has to be one of the favorites just because he won this title last year and he did beat Medvedev. He did beat, he did have some good wins. Um, and yeah, and he has time to get ready. So yeah, did he play? He played three best of five last year, didn't he? He played uh, Shapovalov. Oh, you mean three five-setters? I know he yeah, played... Yeah, three five-setters. Uh, Berrettini? Was it Berrettini? Yeah, Berrettini was a four-setter. Four-setter, once, yeah. once he got through the Shapo match, Berrettini was a relatively comfortable matchup for him. Yeah. Although it got a little complicated towards the end of the third and start of the fourth, but he managed to wear, get out of that. And then the real heroic act was the final, obviously. 
Yeah, but did he, he not play a, a, another best of five? Am I am I going crazy? <laughs> I think he he just no, played the he, two, right? He just played Chapo and and yeah, Medvedev. Just the Chapo and Medvedev were the ones that were five setters. I mean, before that he played he played Berrettini in the semis, and then before that he had Manorino in the fourth round, and then he had Hachanov in the third round. I think the Hachanov one went four. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He uh, played a bunch of four setters. Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, the point is that that tournament i mean we gave him no chance right and he because he had covid and he was coming back from the foot thing and then once he worked his way into the draw and some of that pressure was just way off right way off his shoulder because everyone i mean everyone thought medvedev was the unequivocal favorite and they were right to yeah wait um, which he was like he was he yeah. was almost 100 percent going to win that match and so he didn't he didn't so yeah so um so yeah nadal is another interesting one to follow um but I mean, in terms of in terms of everything else, I look at someone like Fritz, who is now going to be seated eighth, and who had a pretty solid year last year, and he just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. And now it's just the time to do it in a major, because he had a pretty bad loss at the U.S. Open to Brandon Holt in the first round. Yeah. Um, but now with the ATP Finals, all these top ten wins, mm-hmm. you know, all these great people in his back in his coaching corner like Paul Anacone, Mike Russell, yeah. he seems to have improved yeah. his fit. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, I do feel like he's a Australian. Australia as a hardcore suits him better than uh, New York. Cause, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. You could see it already last year. He made he made the fourth round, played a very competitive match against Tsitsipas. Yeah. I ended up losing that in five, but... You know, he was very much in that match. He also should have probably won against Djokovic uh, in 2020, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although that that time, um, I don't think Fritz's level was quite where it is. Oh, it's yeah. No, 100%. But, but yeah, no, I feel... There, but but yeah. I think if he's in that position again, I, I don't see him losing that match. Let's yeah, I feel that. like he, he's a lot more mature now to, to pull to pull it through. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, so so that's big for him. Like Alcaraz withdrawing and then he's a top eight seed. Uh, for him, that's big because then he avoids, you know, playing Djokovic or something in the fourth round, right? So yeah, I think he gets to uh, yeah, he gets to try and get to the quarters again. Yeah, so I think that's uh, he's one to watch out for, and then obviously, um, Rude is going to be kind of interesting because he'll be seated second, mm-hmm. and he didn't play this tournament last year, and he has a whole lot of whole lot of points to gain this part of the year, and he could even make a push for number one. Um. Yeah, and then I mean, on the who else on the men's side that I see? I mean, Sitsipas 
I saw some better things from him this week. He won all four of his matches. He finally beat George, who he struggled a lot against, from 4-1 down in the third set. And he won the first set, 6-love. And it looked like everything was going to get away from him and George was going to come on top again. Yeah, He started playing, giving himself a little bit more time on the backhand, started returning serve deep behind the baseline, almost like team on the second yeah. serve, which is a much better play rather than standing up close to the baseline and taking these long, elaborate swings off of big, huge returns. Yeah. So I'm glad he made that adjustment and he's blocking a few more back and he's he seems to be waiting for his moment to attack again. Um, yeah. Obviously, the weaknesses still remain. I mean, the backhand is, yeah, no. you know, still can be rushed. Uh, yeah, I feel like he, I feel like one thing that Tsitsipas can do is like try to vary his position a little bit more, like just just like yeah. Team did like a couple of years back. On the return, I think it was in Australia. Yeah, yeah. on the that's return, what yeah. Is trying to get him to do like you know when you step yeah. in, when you stand in, like shorten that swing, block it, use the slice. But the problem yeah. is slices, you know, not one of the best in the world. Yeah, exactly. Trying to, get, trying to get better at that. So I like that play from him to go back on the second serve return, give himself a little bit more time, and then get his forehand to play because his forehand is one of the best. Yeah. Um, and, and then his transition game, all-court game, sometimes I feel like he has so many options. He feels so overwhelmed sometimes because of... And so I think Philip Pusso is trying to get him to simplify it and just, just uh, go for these regular plays on big points rather than trying to do something crazy um yeah with those yeah. returns and yeah um so so he's he's definitely one because he, he gets a lot of crowd support in australia like because the greek population is so big yeah he's uh, he's made the semifinals three times and he, he has had, had some really big wins in australia he beat federer in 2019 he beat nadal from two sets to love down so you know i feel like he he is probably poised for another big run again i mean we'll have to see the draw and We'll see. We'll see how he looks, but he is maybe a top four favorite for me. Like he's yeah. going in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do see him making maybe another quarter or semi. Like I, I feel like past that, definitely have to see his level in tournament before making a decision or making like a call because Tsitsipas is, is is has become a bit streaky in the way that he plays. Like he plays really good matches, but sometimes his weaknesses kind of overwhelm him a bit. I like the way you put it. Like he he might think he has too many options and um sort of like a little bit how he he ended up feeling when he lost to Rublev in the, in the yeah. finals um so like it doesn't matter that you have that many options if you can't really do anything with them right yeah. so and it's, in that sense Rublev yeah. is simple like we know what we're going to get from him and yeah and he's going to do it to the best of his ability so yeah. yeah so so yeah no i think he learned from that from that match and yeah uh, but Oh, like uh, him against Medvedev again would be something fun in a best of five because he will. <laughs> you know, he's uh, he's done a few different things against Medvedev and he's trying to, you know, play, he plays him completely different serves and volleys and uses the slice a lot more and varied his game up a lot rather than getting into those baseline backhand to backhand exchanges. Yeah. He's definitely, um, you know, he's won four of the last six now against Daniil. Um, and they played last year in the semifinal. It was a close match for about two sets maybe three but then uh medvedev just kind of ran away with it so i wonder if they play each other again and how that's going to work mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah he's definitely one um you know nori is another whose serve and forehand is playing just seems to get better every time i watch him and he seems to go under the radar as usual but he keeps improving adding to his game and he's one of those eight through 15 kind of guys but he's but i wonder after beating nadal if he's going to get 
more confident and maybe we'll see him in the second week. Yeah. That's possible. Like I feel like he could get like a couple epic matches like up to the fourth and uh yeah. fourth and quarterfinals. Even third round, I think we we're in for like a good good treat as the Australian Open always is. And uh, what about the, the women's side? Who do you think is uh, the best options? Yeah, I mean I want to say I want to say Pegula is yeah. Pegula I want to say Pegula definitely feels like really stepped up. Yeah, like, she, she, she has... can she can do some damage this year. Like, I mean, she talk about improving and also the confidence that she gained from Guadalajara qualifying, playing so many matches last year, becoming world number three, but then also carrying the U.S. at the United Cup. Um, you know, besides the first match that she lost against Kovitova, who was just peaking on big points and hit ridiculous winners on every single set point that she saved. <laughs> um, since then, I mean, Pagula has looked amazing. Like, I mean, lights out. Like, she played a perfect match against Iga. Yeah. Um, and just like dictated just like front foot tennis return winners off of Iga's second serve consistently just being aggressive taking the ball early Served pretty well herself those those really fast speedy conditions definitely suited her to a hilt with her flat ball striking taking the ball super you know on the rise early and just you know believing that she can do it and she dominated she dominated Shiontek um and now I just wonder like because every time she's played Shiontek now the last three times they've the matches have gotten better. Um, like at the US Open, they had a very good tight two-setter. Then I watched them play in San Diego and Jessica finally won a set. And now this time, in these conditions, that was a statement win. Yeah. And then she backed it up in the final. So I just, and with her consistency last year, getting to the quarters and only losing to Eva and Barty. Yeah. Apart from Wimbledon, I feel like uh, she she has to be in, she has to be one of the top contenders right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, along with, of course, Garcia and Sabalenka and, but it's just with them, you're, you know. I'm just not quite so certain because it's but, the it's the the old thing about like, can you sustain this this level for like yeah. seven matches in a row, right? So because and, I do, that is something in the WTA that's so hard for me to predict. Like, are these players who had success at the end of last year are they actually going to build on that, or are we going to see fresh new talent like like a Raducanu type, but just more of them, like just come in and like make deep runs at a major instead, and then we just have more depth. So that's that you know that is something to follow, and then yeah, yeah. and then like Shrantik for me is still the unequivocal favorite. That loss doesn't really change anything for me, but yeah, uh, I do. I do feel like Shrantik can be a lot better in Melbourne. She was very good last year, but um, she hasn't hadn't yet um, peaked to the level that she is now able to play at. So, but she was getting there, and she was showing it. So I feel like she's going to be. Honestly, for me, like every tournament now, Shantek is the player to beat. Like, there's yeah. no question about it, in my opinion. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Sakari is a kind of another interesting one. Like, she was playing very well until the tight moments of that Trevisan match, where Trevisan really kind of got everything, you know, really raised her level in some big moments. And I think Sakari was really frustrated, but. I, I'm not. I'm really not sure about the women's side. Like, um, I think Eva is definitely going to be going to go really far. I just don't know about the rest. Yeah, I, 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 I am. I, I am encouraged by Sabalenka backing up what she did at the end of last year, getting to the WTA finals and then winning in Adelaide. I thought that was impressive. 
Yeah, that's really good for her as well. She's been it's solving awesome. her her second serve issues, right? She's been able to serve much yeah. le- uh, a few much fewer double faults, I think. There's usually a period of like 15 minutes in every sub Lincoln match where you're just like, wow, like this power is overwhelming. Yeah. If she can just replicate this. It's like, kind of ridiculous, right? That she can just like smash the ball and just it's in. It's like, how can you do that? It's right. kind of like and a Del Potro style of, of aggressive. Or like a set. And she can do it off of both wings and the serve. Yeah. And just take the racket out of your hands. Like it's yeah. so much. It's just way. It's an overwhelming barrage of power. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like for me, the closest thing is on the ATP side is like a Del Potro, like a forehand. But yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, I do like I do like these big hitters just generally to do well throughout the whole year, like a Samsonova, a Sabalenka, yeah. or a Bakina. players like that because they have non-negotiable weapons, right, with the serve and their powerful ground strokes. Whereas some of the more counter-punching players, like they might give these power players some fits, but then they also have some bad matchups that they have to watch out for. Yeah, like Sabalenka, I feel like every match that she's playing, it's almost on her racket, even sometimes against Tech. So, yeah. It, then it's just up to her. Can she control it? Can she like it becomes in the head then because now she's done everything else besides win a slam, and she's twenty four years of age and she's been around for a long time. Yeah. So I just it, wonder like this year like I would be shocked actually if she finishes her career and doesn't win a slam just because I feel like she has all the tools. Yeah, I mean to be fair, if um, Caroline Wozniacki was able to win a slam, there's no reason why Sabalenka shouldn't. Right. Um, no disrespect, yeah. obviously, to. Uh... <laughs> to Svozniaki, but it's just like the level of play that Sabalenka can play, in my opinion, is is higher. Like the ceiling is a lot higher. The peak, like we know what the peak is. I mean, she yeah. had a very good rivalry with Barty before yeah. Barty retired and even beat her in a Madrid final. Six love, like. And last year against Iga, like just blew her out in the third set of that WTA finals match. So, yeah. And, you know, nearly beat her at the US Open. So I, I think if those two play, that could be another good rivalry. Iga and Sabalenka and yeah, yeah, Garcia. I'm not so sure. Like, she's a question mark for me. But, um, yeah, but like she she showed good consistency second half of 2022. So, yeah, you can just maybe hope that she's gonna keep that consistency. I don't think that Garcia is like not here to stay. That at this point, like, I feel like and she's going to be there. Like, if she's yeah. going to go, like, on... has more clarity about her game now. You know, she knows. yeah. I feel like if she's going to decline now, it's going to be like a more steady, um, normal decline instead of just like completely losing her level uh, and not being able to play well. I think, but I'm not entirely sure yet. Like, she, I feel like she's, uh, even though she's won the tour finals last year and did win, uh, I think Cincinnati, is it that she won? Um, I, I do feel like she, she still has to win me a bit on, uh, on a Grand Slam. I don't think, I still wouldn't pick her to be a winner at a Grand Slam just yet. Same. Yeah, I mean, and then you just have the overwhelming amount of young talent from, the, especially from Czech Republic, like, they're producing such great players like Noskova, uh, Fulvertova sisters. Uh, I, I got to watch a little bit of Noskova this week in Adelaide. She got all the way to the final and lost to Sabalenka in a tight two-set match. But the, the level that she showed in the beginning and the players that she beat, she beat Kasakina, she beat Azarenka, she won, uh, you know, countless tie breaks and came through in so many tight moments, including qualies. And I watched her game and there's not much that can go wrong. Like her stroke production is really, really solid off the forehand, backhand and the serve and the return. And I'm just like, and she shot up like 60 places. She's younger than Coco. She's 
like almost by a year. Yeah. And she's now in the top 60. And she has to play qualities at the Australian Open now after this run because, you know, it's those were decided by an entry ranking from a few months ago. But nonetheless, like she is definitely one to watch out for me this year um, because, yeah, she showed flashes of it. I think last year she played Radu Kano in the first round of the French Open. I was pretty impressed, um, even though she lost. So, mm. yeah, she's someone who really impressed me this week. But in general, she's talked really highly about. So I wonder if she is definitely the real deal. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Like, it's it's always a little bit like that with WTA. We definitely are getting like some more um, players that are coming and just kind of here to stay. But we the depth of talent is still really deep. Like, uh, it's 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 re it's really cool to see like so many good players coming off of the WTA, like juniors. And playing well at such a young age, which is not necessarily something that happens uh, in the in the ATP right now. Like so yeah, Alicia Parks, who finished yeah. on high last year, like winning those two one twenty fives, and then I think she was here for the United Cup and was supporting the team the whole week. So mm. you know, I'm not. Maybe she can like carry that form. She had like one of the fastest serves ever recorded or something last year, huh. hundred and thirty two miles per hour or something like that. Like that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> So she, and she has a very good serve. Like, uh, and then I think the Krichikova was going to be interesting for me because she beat Fiontek in a 500 final in October last year in Ostrava on an indoor hard court. Yeah. And that really got my attention because she'd also won a title the week before and it seemed like there's no way if she's at her best, should she be like 20 in the world? She's more like a top five player to me. Yeah, I agree. Totally. So, hopefully so hopefully like, she comes back Yeah, to her best level. Yeah. And I think for that she kind of needs to give a little bit up on the on the doubles. doubles yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because she's so damn good in both. Like it's yeah her doubles resume. She has a career slam in doubles, and yeah. she's won two mixed doubles titles. And, and she she won last year, right? She won um, WT finals last year as well. Yeah, she won the single. She won the doubles in the U.S. Open as well. Yeah, she's yeah like she has such an awesome resume already, but like. I mean, she's she's also just a joy to watch. Like her and Eva would be something amazing again. And yes, there's like there's like a lot of other players that I just wish would have a resurgence. Like there's Carolina Mukova. I really enjoy watching her. Yeah, and just just for the record, uh, Krejcikova has won. Has she she only didn't win the French Open last year? Yeah, uh, but she won every other every other big tournament. I think in doubles. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's just super smooth to watch and really just doesn't have any holes in her game. But but I think what just held her back last year was just coming back from that elbow injury. Like it just took her a while to get going. But yeah, um, once she found her, she's pretty surface versatile. Like I wouldn't be shocked to see her in a Wimbledon. Um, yeah. Oh, and also she did not win the uh, World Tour Finals last year. She they lost yeah, to, they lost to the, the Mertens Kudermetova. Yeah, I remember it was like in a super tie break, but yeah, it was. But like they've already won the WTA Finals. Before. Yeah, they won the the year before twenty twenty one. So, but yeah, I mean, so that's kind of who I'm looking at on the women's side. I mean, I hope for an Andrescu resurgence, but I think that might take a few more, take a bit longer. I don't think she's quite ready for it yet. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think the Canadians can do well this year. I feel like 
um they have in their goals i believe to get back to to the top 20 so um I hopefully they believe a lot in Leila. i think she that injury at the french open really hurt her last year it I did think. it really I think did she could have had a much better year if it wasn't for that um, yeah she still did win a wta title in monterey if i'm not wrong yeah she did she won uh she she had she had to say five match points against osorio in the yeah, that was a good final, the final yeah but and yeah, uh, no, she was in the quarters of the French. She yeah. just beat Benchich and Anisimova. She was looking really good until that injury. Yeah. I, yeah. And then yeah. Had, uh, the classic case of like, will Raducanu be healthy to play? Yeah, that this was unfortunate because she plays a yeah. really good first round, gets through Fubertova, who's a really good talent, and then is up sixth love and is like deep in the second set. And then she just slips because these Auckland conditions turned into indoor courts. Yeah. Because of the rain because of the nagging rain and then she slipped and didn't really think much of it but then she had gotten a timeout she got everything taped and then retired and was in tears and i know that she definitely worked on her fitness throughout the off season because they she got a new fitness coach jez green who was like one of the best mm-hmm. in the business so i i don't think it's like she's not putting in the time to get fit like she definitely is i think this was more of a freak thing yeah and I it's nothing too serious for the australian open because yeah uh i still believe in her as a talent i still think she showed some glimpses of it last year, even though it was not a good year for her. And I think the main issue is not the serve forehand back end. It was mostly the fitness. She retired four times. Yeah. She um and obviously, you know, she did have expectations, pressure. And we knew she was gonna, you know, not perform at that. It wasn't like we once Radukanu won the US Open, we weren't looking at like a 20-time major champion. You know, we were looking at someone who's probably just gonna settle down, take time, and um, you know, maybe reach closer to that heights in a couple of years, right? That's kind of what we thought. So I uh, I just hope that she can stay healthy and that she's uh, she gets a few more wins. Yeah, because, because like I think she'll have a more normal trajectory this year. I think I still ex- I expect her to finish somewhere in the top fifty this year because I think she'll have a more normal schedule. She got used to the rigors of the tour last year. Yeah, and hopefully she doesn't keep changing coaches again. Um, mm-hmm. I but... feel like, I feel like this year like she. She has potential to set herself up a goal to finish at least in the top 30. I feel like if she's aiming like for less than that, uh, I think she should aim higher. Because even if you don't achieve, like I feel like she would have worked really hard for it. And, I, I could see her. I definitely yeah. see her as a top 30 player. Just uh, yeah. uh, And I think the faster courts definitely help her because easier power. She yeah. can get through the court a bit better. And she did kind of surprise me last year on the clay as well. Won a few more matches. I think pushed Piontek in one match in Stuttgart as well. Yeah, six four six four. It was it was a good match. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not too like pessimistic on Raducanu. I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not pessimistic at all. I'm just sort of like being patient about it. Like I I would get pessimistic if like three years went by and she hasn't made yeah. any improvement. But it's it's just been her first year after winning the U.S. Open. So it because she was a Grand Slam champion and she was a uh, in the spotlight for so much. Um, she got so much like screen time for everybody that it, it feels like she's Her been on tour for yeah, yeah it, it just feels like she's been on tour for so long but she really hasn't so yeah no, i mean like a year and a half ago she was doing her a-levels and she yeah in- she's 19 years old like come on yeah. yeah like so just give her time you know let her be she'll figure it out or is she she's 20 hard. did she turn 20 last year i think she did she turned 20 in november but yeah exactly it was still though like come on 20. like it's yeah you got time yeah I'm not worried, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, any other players you're looking out for in the WTA before we talk about Djokovic? Oh, I don't, I don't think so, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah. but but anyways, I guess Djokovic is back in Australia, so he was he got a really nice, warm welcome. Adelaide, he has a lot of support there, um, and yeah, I've watched a lot of his matches, uh, particularly at you know his second round ended up being super difficult against Quinton Halis. 7676 who played like a top 10 player that day and really pushed Djokovic. Yeah. And was up 5-2 in the first set and Djokovic, you know, classic Djokovic knuckled down in the tie breaks and refused to go away and just made so many balls and put gave himself so many opportunities on on his serve. His serve has become such a weapon. Um and once he got to the Shapovalov and Medvedev matches, that's when we started to see like just how efficient and well-rounded his game has become because Shapovalov definitely pushed him and he still had chances. It was closer than a 6-3-6-4 scoreline. But uh, once again, like it just came down to a couple of bad games from Dennis. Like He doubled yeah. three times to give the break in the first set. And then second set, he did well actually to come back from a breakdown um, and lead 4-3. But then Djokovic, just, Djokovic came up with the goods and uh, yeah, it, just, it just wasn't enough. It was a bit too erratic. Uh, and Djokovic will make you do that because forces Dennis to hit closer to the lines. Go for broke on on a shot that he's not as comfortable going uh, on because of Djokovic's speed, and then it just becomes one of those matches where he shrinks the court and comes through. So that's kind of what I saw happen. And then in the Medvedev match, that one I was really excited about because their head-to-head is interesting, and they always seem to have really good matches. And last, Djokovic won their last three, but one of those was in a retirement from Medvedev and Astana, and the other one was 7-6 in the third. Yeah. In the World Cup Finals, Medvedev served for the match, but this time I thought it was much more straightforward. Um, Djokovic really locked in on one key return game in the first set. Medvedev handed him a double fault, went huge on the second serve, um, and then st- struggled a little bit with his hamstring, like he was stretching it quite a bit. Got a medical timeout at five two in the first set. Um, took some anti-inflammatories and I think started to feel better. And then the second set went on, and then. Um, he played like this. They had this amazing 30 shot rally, and Djokovic just goes for the kill down the line forehand. Uh, and and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, he's he's back, it looks fine. And then and then he has to save break points in the next game, two of them, and he hits an ace on one of them. And on the other one, he goes 200 Ks down the tee on a second serve. Yeah, and Medvedev throughout this match was not adjusting his return position, he stood so far behind the baseline to return serve and like you know generally that works against most players is such an effective returner but the problem is Djokovic hits that slider out wide <laughs> and then he has the whole court to work with and he can serve in Bali he can get Medvedev out of his comfort zone yeah. he's able I to th- hold a lot easier yeah. than, and I this think, was a really quick court in Adelaide yeah too. exactly and I think Medvedev when he started doing this like a lot and and winning points he wasn't settling because he was doing it but like now everybody's gotten used to it so like he has to sort of come up with like at least like a, a bit more variation, like just returning a yeah. bit closer, uh, blocking maybe a return on the forehand, like a slice, um, and then sometimes it's just go for the super deep uh, return position as well. Um, but his tactic in this match was to get to Djokovic's legs, make these rallies super physical, grinding long rallies. And Djokovic was just like, I'm not having it. You know, yeah. I'm going to win these quick points, and I'm not going to get myself in these rallies where you can actually contend with me on the backhand cross court changes. Sometimes Medvedev can actually wear Djokovic down in that regard. And then he serves so huge himself. And then Djokovic is having to work to the whole serve. But this time Djokovic Djokovic just had other ideas because he was holding serve much easier because of that yeah. return. 
Medvedev. Yeah. But Medvedev did adjust in that 4-3 game and got himself to break point. And then Djokovic goes for a massive second serve. And the difference is he makes it and doesn't yeah. double fault. <laughs> Medvedev double faults to give the break by going massive on the second serve. And it's just like, that's the whole match right there. And it's, yeah. And it was kind of anticlimactic, not as great as some of their other best matches. But um, but yeah, like it was it was crucial, I guess, for Djokovic because he didn't want to be too tired going into the final. And he yeah. already had a hamstring issue. And he still had to play a big final to win. You can score it, isn't yeah. it? Um, against a very good player, Korda, who is improving since the U.S. Open last year. Already made two finals at the end of last year, um, losing to Felix and Rublev indoors. But uh, it seems like he's beefed up his serve. He's always had beautiful, smooth ground strokes. Such a clean game to watch. Compact yeah. strokes on both the forehand and backhand. It's pretty clean moves technique. Pretty well, moves pretty well for his height, I would say. Is pretty instinctive as a player, you know? Like likes to come forward. He's pretty complete all around, but the issue for him has been like fitness, you know, because he's yeah, not, yeah, doesn't really like hasn't really put on that much muscle. And I feel like once he starts doing that, he will be a nightmare. Like he could be in the top ten, um, but like fitness and then maybe like shot selection at times and just little things like his serve. I think got way better in the off season. So that's a really big plus because before he just used to kind of dink his serve in, and he's six foot five. He should be getting way more out of that serve. Yeah. Um, but against Djokovic, man, like credit to him because he had four set points in that first set. Five, he had six actually. He had five four forty love on his serve, <laughs> and he lost. He lost that game, and Djokovic came back and he missed a ton of backhands and got broken. And then he had more set points in the tiebreak. Didn't take them, but then finally took it on a seventh. I, I didn't think Djokovic played a very good tiebreak for his standard in that first set, and I think he was still struggling with the conditions because it was day. And most of his matches were at night, so it was a little hotter in the heat. Sometimes Djokovic, you know, doesn't always look his best. And But credit to Korda because he still found a way to win and he's so composed mm-hmm. um, in, that, in that first set. And then he got himself all the way to a set point. Uh, sorry, a match point Yeah, uh, in the second set. And Djokovic Was it on his serve or was it a break point? It was, it was a break point. So yeah. Djokovic was serving at 5-6-30-40 in yeah. the second set. And Djokovic hits... They have this amazing rally, and Djokovic goes huge on the downline backhand this time, doing doing to him what Korda had done to him in a lot of baseline exchanges early on. And then he has an overhead, but it's a really tough overhead. Like he's having to go back, looking at yeah. the sun, and everyone was holding their air because he's missed a lot of overheads like that in his career at pivotal moments. Not a lot, but you know, like one or two that significantly. <laughs> and then, and he hits this one perfectly. Like it is just a gem. And he goes back, and he just. He hits this like Korda didn't do anything wrong at that point. That was all Djokovic right there. Yeah, I wonder if that's like what Djokovic has been training on the off season nowadays. So it's like like overheads. Yeah, you know, with <laughs> for weeks with on... how good his service motion is, it's yeah. puzzling to me that he decelerates on that overhead. But he 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 had no issue with it this time, and this was a really tough one. He, funny enough, he misses the easy ones and he makes the hard ones. I think. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he gets out of that and he wins that second set in a tiebreak. And now you're thinking, okay, this third set is going to be much more you know, straightforward for Djokovic, but credit to Korda again, he hung in there. He was winning a lot of, Korda is one of these players, backhand to backhand, he can match Djokovic. Like, I'm watching his backhand and it is like one of the best in the world because it's so precise. It's so flat. It's compact. He can yeah. mix it up. He can use the slice, get draw Djokovic forward. He can do these different things and then just laser it down the line. He has such good control off that wing. I think his forehand is good too, but sometimes it just sprays a bit on him. And yeah, it's in a way it kind of reminds me a bit of like Hurkacz, but um, less erratic on the forehand. I think his forehand is better. Cleaner technique, yeah. yeah. Cleaner yeah. technique. Hurkacz has technical issues on his forehand. It's like 
but yeah, you're, you're so right about that. It's just so fluid and just so easy yeah. on the eye. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he, you know, so he's always going to give himself chances that way. And he just kept on holding. And it was Djokovic who was getting frustrated that he wasn't getting able to break quarter serve until the last game. Quarter serving at 4-5. He was 40-15 up. But then Djokovic just does what he does in just lockdown mode, but just, I mean, absolutely refusing to let any ball go and just like throws up a lob that's like lands on the baseline over overhead smash from Korda at Deuce and he just misses it in the net. And then he just squeezed that last game out somehow. It was yeah. it was a Herculean effort because yeah. three hours and what, 15 minutes and he had already saved the championship point. And yeah. it was... Yeah, it was brutal for Korda because he couldn't have played a better match, to be honest. And yeah, to be fair. But I, I don't think he can blame his performance too much. I thought, you know, significantly different to the match that he had against Nadal at the Indian Wells. Yeah. Last it was a 5-2 double break. He probably should have closed that one out. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, he played a really bad game, I remember, at 5-2 in that match. Yeah. I feel like players because a lot of a lot of times we're well at least me i say like it's it's not really it's not a bad thing to lose to djokovic and Nadal or like if you lose and to federer back in the day different you know they just they find that extra gear yeah but at the same time i feel like at at this point now that's when they should start saying like no like it's it's still not a good thing that i lost to djokovic because yeah. I was a match point up and I played such a good match, I should have won that match regardless. And like, I it should be looking at this like next match, I will win this. Like, I will not leave this like on the table. I will not leave this as like my best performance against Djokovic. Like next time, I'm gonna do it. So like, yeah. I feel like this is this should be the 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 now mentality of like the now gen, as we call them. If if you're the now gen, you have to you have to put away those matches. You have to be able to like. At least, yeah, like, at least believe if, that you can do it. Like, even though, even though, like, it's Djokovic isn't though, yes, but like, you you still have to believe some part, some part of your player being has to believe that you can win those matches somewhere yeah. in your in your psyche. Otherwise, they're just always going to lose. So, yeah, yeah, and I think the key for all these guys is to, like win the matches they're supposed to win and keep getting themselves in this position because yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah, you don't want to be playing this good against Djokovic and then crash out in the first round of. Australian yeah totally you want to make at least a quarterfinal like that's should be like yeah. a, a next time goal. I mean I'm looking at his game and I'm thinking there's there's no way like if he's ranked in at 30 or 33 this time again next year that would be a very disappointing year for him like he True. must be in the top 20 at least yeah. like maybe even inside getting closer to the top 10 yeah top 15 ish yeah. I, I see him as a as one of the best players behind like Rune and Felix and Sinner. Yeah. like he's kind of in that here for me but just a little bit behind because those two those guys all have some amazing athleticism and yeah i mean carlos is already there that's why i didn't mention him because he's literally world number one but (laughs) um it's like um but yeah if he keeps getting himself in these positions and he doesn't really emote a lot but so that can sometimes help him and also hurt him sometimes but he's um yeah he's got such a good team also behind him like because his dad was a major champion he has radic stepanik in his corner so yeah they're all good things yeah i'm always a little worried about like a father-son coaching relationship but honestly there seems to work quite well so yeah if if i I trust that if it goes south at some point they will do better than just keep it going without uh without it but yeah and his sister is like a the best golfer or something like yeah she's like she's she's epic (laughs) Yeah, so he's got the genes, he's got the game, he's got a good team. Yeah, he's young, 
He's doing I think, great things. Yeah, I do think that he's got a great season ahead of him. Not even a great future, a great season. I think he's going to do well this season. All right, already. So he's going to be 23 this year. So he, yeah, like this is around the time where I, I would expect him to get going now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah the future is looking very bright for American yeah. men with Fritz and Corda and even Tiafo and uh, yeah, and yeah. It's looking interesting as well, especially for the US, I guess, like you, you were mentioning those guys. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, that's about it from uh, from Adelaide, I guess. Yeah, we already touched on Medvedev. I mean, Sinner, I was disappointed to see Sinner get injured again against Korda. That was a bummer because Sinner, I feel like last year had a good season, but he wasn't finishing his runs. Like he was kept getting to the quarters and losing and he had some injury issues. So that's why he was ranked like 15, but it really felt like he had, he was winning more matches than that. But like his win percentage was very good. It was like fifth on the tour. Yeah. But his ranking was like 15th because he just kept getting to the quarters and losing. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, or he just got injured. Like he, he, he had some mid match retirements, like the one against Rublev at the French Open. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's so up on Djokovic at Wimbledon and he had match point against Alcaraz in the quarters of the US. Open. Oh, yeah. That was brutal. That was match so, of the year but yeah i i guess right now we're just sort of like in the in the wait for the australian open draw and seeing like um our next episode for the preview of it and yeah hopefully we're gonna have owen there but like for today i think we've made a we've made a rundown of all the important events um plus yes. some extras extra rents that could not be missed in the tennis and bagels podcast so yeah i guess that that'll be it um Thanks, Funch. Thanks for listening, uh, listeners. <laughs> and um, we'll be here next week for the Australian Open preview. And um, we'll see how much of that tournament we can watch. Because unfortunately, we're not living off of this podcast yet. So <laughs> we have uh, day things to do. and But we'll, we'll definitely be, be following a lot. As, um, yeah, we will. We'll always try our best. Yeah. We love this game. And we'll... You know, we'll we're there for you guys on Twitter. So if you have any yeah. questions, like DM us. Yeah. Feel free to comment. You know, give us some suggestions on episodes that you want to do later on this year. Yeah, we'll be happy to take them on. And uh, yeah, and yeah, it was fun being here with you, Andre. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was a good start. Good start to the year, and we covered a decent amount of ground. So that was good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, excited for the Australian Open, and uh, well, we'll see what happens this week as well. And yeah, thanks again, Varsh. I'll see you. I'll see you next time. Bye.